And God's word to us this morning is from 1 Kings. 1 Kings and reading chapter 13. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says, a son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him. But the hand he stretched out towards the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart, and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God, by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored, and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me and have something to eat, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now, there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, which way did he go? And his son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water but he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. 
While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah, This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. And as he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, it is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion, which has mauled him and killed him, as the word of the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me, and he did so. Then he went out and found the body thrown down on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, O oh, my brother. After burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones, for the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was a sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. Well, that's all quite clear and straightforward. Perhaps... Not so much. First Kings 13, which I invite you to turn to now, is positively packed with unanswered questions. Perhaps especially concerning the old prophet of Bethel. What are we to make of him? Why is he so strange? Why did he lie to the man of God? What could have been his motive? How is it that a true word from God comes to a prophet who lies. Why does he want to be buried with the man of God? And there are other unanswered questions. Why was the man of God to refuse any hospitality? Why must he return by another route? Why is he sitting under that tree north of the border between Israel and Judah? Why does he go back with the old prophet, having clear orders to do otherwise without engaging in any further debate? 
Why is his punishment so severe? What is the significance of the lying and the donkey? And there are other questions that could be asked. So why the writer's reticence in providing answers? Because what really matters lies elsewhere. While the writer has produced a narrative that in some ways is difficult to navigate, he makes his main theme, he makes what really matters crystal clear. Eleven times in these 34 verses in the NIV, in verses 1, 2, 5, 9, 17, 18, 20, 26, and 32. At least I did all right with those numbers. Either the writer or one of the characters in the story refers to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is the overarching theme of the story. So that's how we're going to approach the passage. Focusing on each of the three main characters and their relation to the word of the Lord. And as we do so, we see disregard in King Jeroboam disobedience in the man of God from Judah, and deception in the prophet of Bethel. With regard to the word of the Lord, with regard to what he requires, with regard to what really matters, none of these characters cover themselves in glory, reminding us as we begin that we are all fallen creatures. None of us love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and all our mind. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us need mercy. All of us need grace. All of us need a Savior. All of us need Jesus. For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So first... King Jeroboam and the word of the Lord. He disregarded it. Picture Jeroboam in all his finery, standing beside the altar at Bethel, officiating at worship. The worship of the golden calves he has had made and set up at Bethel and Dan. The gods he told the people of Israel in 1 Kings 12 and verse 28 that had brought them out of Egypt. Jeroboam had set up these idols in opposition to the worship of the one and only living God in Jerusalem. He'd invested a lot in this cult. No doubt there was a real manufactured aura of sanctity in this place. But not for long. The worshippers part as a man excuses me, excuses me and moves to the front and promptly launches into a full frontal attack on what is going on, crying out against the altar by the word of the Lord, prophesying that a coming descendant of the house of David by the name of Josiah would slaughter the new breed of priests that Jeroboam had instituted. And these new priests were really any Tom, Dick, or Harry that wanted the job. First Kings 12 and 31 tells us that. And what this man of God says, that these priests will be slaughtered 
on the altar. The, al the altar would be profaned by the burning of human bones on it. Not your usual call to worship. Something that upset what was going on. Because what was going on was not of God. And as a guarantee that what he had said would happen, the man of God announced an imminent sign that would authenticate his prophecy. The altar before him would split apart and the ashes on it would be poured out. Jeroboam isn't going to stand for this. This is his worship space. This is his turf. He's the one who calls the shots. Seize him. He shouts. But it's Jeroboam who is seized. Seized by the power of God. His outstretched hand shrivels. And he's unable to bring his arm back to his body. And at this point, just as the man of God said would happen, the altar splits apart and the ashes on it are poured out. The clear word of the Lord, spoken by the man of God from Judah. The word of the Lord, spoken with great clarity and great power. A power that the king is forced to recognize. His paralysis produces a U-turn. He cries out to the man of God, intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. Intercession follows. And the king is miraculously healed. Jeroboam then changes tack, seeking to get the man of God on side with the promise of hospitality and a gift. No doubt both would have been lavish. But the man of God is having none of it. He answers the king, even if you were to give me half of your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat or drink water or return by the way you came. A rebuff which highlights that the true man of God had to have no truck, no fellowship, no ongoing relationship with Jeroboam's idolatrous regime. To put a New Testament light on it, in the words of 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, what fellowship can light have with darkness? There is only one true God, and he's not being worshipped here at Bethel. The man of God then leaves, taking another road as instructed. How clearly the word of God spoke, the word of the Lord spoke to Jeroboam that day. There was a trio of signs, a three-point sermon, if you will, a sign of power, the paralyzed hand, a sign of truth, the split altar, a sign of grace in Jeroboam's restored hand, a token of the Lord's God's desire to show mercy, an invitation to the king to return to the Lord and know his goodness. But Jeroboam 
disregarded the word of the Lord. This is how the passage concludes. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests from the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. First and Second Kings provide a continuous narrative of Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms, from the time of David handed on a rich, extensive, and united kingdom to the time of its final destruction, brought about by disregard for the word of the Lord. And here we see Jeroboam's part in this the word of the Lord, disregarded by Jeroboam. Once things are back in an even keel, he continues as before. The word of the Lord had no ongoing impact on his life. And that, of course, is precisely what is intended. The word of the Lord is supposed to impact lives. King Jeroboam's life, my life, your life. Does the word of the Lord impact our lives? Does it govern what we watch, what we read, what we think, how we live? Jeroboam disregarded the word of the Lord. A disregard that continued, as we've just heard, throughout the entire history of the kings of Israel. A disregard that continues in the powers that be today. Liam Fraser, in his book, Mission in Contemporary Scotland, cites as an example of this, an example of this disregard for the word of the Lord, the, repack the repackaging of St. Andrew as a secular and not a Christian saint. On the Scottish government website, he says, you will look in vain for the one thing that Andrew would have considered fundamental to his identity that he was a follower of Jesus. This is to make no political comment with regard to the relative merits of SNP, Labour, the Conservatives, Lib Dems or Greens. Other political parties are available. The truth is, in all political parties, a disregard for the word of the Lord is pervasive. Built up on the belief that individuals themselves are the best judges of how to live their lives, to do right in their own eye. An outlook that in those political parties mirrors that of society. 
at a national and an individual level. The word of the Lord is disregarded. And Scripture is unequivocal in telling us where this will lead. Destruction. We will not flourish. We will wither. We will perish as long as there is a disregard for the word of the Lord. Which is to say, a disregard for the Lord. In New Testament terms, a disregard for the Lord Jesus Christ. To paraphrase some verses quoted last week by Bruce from Hebrews 2 and verse 2, the message spoken by the angels, the word of the Lord, is binding. Every violation and disobedience receives its just just punishment. As grace, as he did for Jeroboam, God has offered a way out of this mess. He has offered Jesus. As Hebrews 2 goes on to say, how shall we escape if we ignore, if we disregard such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we disregard Jesus? How shall we escape if we disregard Jesus, the word of the Lord, the word made flesh? The word of the Lord. Jeroboam disregarded it. And there's no bigger question for us than what do we do with it? What do we do with the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord, Jeroboam disregarded it. The word of the Lord, the man of God from Judah, disobeyed it. This is to take nothing away from the rock-solid fashion in which the man of God from Judah initially responded to King Jeroboam. However, that's not where the emphasis of the passage lies. It lies in the disobedience of the man of God. The Lord's command concerning the man of God's mission to Bethel were clear to him. He twice quotes them immediately and decisively in verses 8 and 9 and again in verses 16 and 17. I've been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. Yet when the man, the old man, identifies himself as a prophet a fellow man of the cloth, if you like, and claims he's received a word from the Lord. The man of God follows him like a lamb to the slaughter. No delay, no doubt, no debate that we know about. Despite the fact that by his residence in Bethel, the old man was associated with this idolatry, idolatrous cult instituted by Jeroboam. If the apostle John had been there, he would have been shouting, hold on, don't be so hasty, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And the apostle Paul would have joined the chorus, 
chiming in with be like the Bereans. They examined the scriptures every day to see what I was saying was true. God had spoken to the man of God. He'd received the word of the Lord, but he did not obey it. The word of man or the word of God? Which are we going to obey? Paul says to us, be a Berean. Examine scripture to see what is true and what is false. Examine the given word of the Lord. Examine the Bible. Go by the book above the pulpit on the sounding board in what was then Conton Means Church in Edinburgh were the words of Psalm 119 and verse 89 in the authorized version. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. In the NIV, it's translated, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. The word of the Lord is settled. It is firm. It is eternal. It does not change. No matter what happens, or no matter who says what, it does not change. And we disobey it at our peril, whether as a nation or as in this case, an individual. First Kings 13 teaches that it is not safe to receive anything beyond or beside the word of the Lord. But the man of God from Judah did. The old prophet, who as verse 18 tells us, was a liar spoke the truth about the man of God. In verse 21, he had defied the word of the Lord, not kept the command the Lord his God had given him. And his lifeless forum on the road from Bethel bears silent witness to the danger of doing so. The man of God did not take, in this instance, the word of God seriously. And the consequences were deadly. They still are in time and eternity. But why did it happen? What led to his disobedience? The old prophet found the man of God sitting under an oak tree. Was he thinking with regret about the festival meal and reward he'd forgone and not going with the king? That we do not know. What we do know is that Bethel was only six miles from the border with Judah. There was no real need to rest. He was lingering in a place he shouldn't have been like David lingered on the rooftop in Jerusalem when he saw Bathsheba. And as David disobeyed, so the man of God disobeyed. He did not act on the word of the Lord. And that, of course, is what God's word demands. He speaks to us. And our required response is obedience. 
the man of God did not put the word of God into practice. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, paraphrasing it, everyone who hears the word of the Lord and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds his house on sand. The man who does so builds his house on rock, says Jesus. These are words, the word of the Lord, to build our lives on. How are we building? Are we building on the rock that is Jesus Christ? Are we listening to him? Are we doing what he says? The seriousness of not doing so, the seriousness of building on sand, is brought out in the passage by the consequence for the man of God of disobeying the word. The consequence was death. And that was, that's repeated in the story in verses 24 and 26. This is intended to make us sit up and take notice. Do we? Do we take on board the seriousness of disobeying the word of the Lord? Does the lifeless body by the side of the road draw us up short? The word of the Lord, the man of God, disobeyed it. The word of the Lord. Jeroboam disregarded it. The man of God from Judah disobeyed it. The old prophet said, an angel had spoken to him by the word of the Lord. He deceived by it. The old prophet's sons come home with one of those you'll never believe what happened at church today stories. And this sets the old man off in pursuit of the man of God from Judah. As already said, he finds him resting under an oak tree and makes his pitch. I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. What are, to make, what are we to make of this old man? That for whatever reason, he lied. And though the Lord gives him a true word of judgment to speak against the man of God, that does not excuse his previous lie, his deception. Here was a prophet who by his lie destroyed a servant of the Lord. A double-edged situation. 
The kind of situation Jesus speaks of in Mark 14 and 21, speaking of himself and Judas. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. One may be an instrument in accomplishing God's sovereign purpose and yet be blameworthy in doing so. But the important thing to keep in focus here is that even in the midst of deception, the word of the Lord, the purpose of God, is fulfilled. In that, there is comfort for the believer. Even where the word of God is used wrongly, used deceitfully, used for personal ends rather than for godly reasons, the purposes of God in accordance with his word will be fulfilled. And that God is so involved in this situation is brought out in the strange behavior of the lion. When the old man, having heard the report of the demise of the man of God, goes to recover the body, he finds in the words of verse 28 that the lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey, which remained standing by the lion. This is no normal lion attack. It points to the supernatural, to the intervention of God in judgment. Judgment that the word of God said would fall on the man of God and on the nation. Having brought the body back, performed the burial rites, and placed the body in his own tomb, the old man assures his sons that the word of the Lord spoken by the disobedient man of God, the word of the Lord against the altar at Bethel, would surely come to pass. Which, of course, it did Fast forward to 2 Kings 23 and verse 16. Speaking of King, Joseph, of King Josiah, the, the one that the man of God had prophesied would come, it says this, He had the bones removed and burned them on the altar to defile it in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. In the midst of disregard, disobedience, deception, the word of the Lord comes to pass. God's purposes are fulfilled. The word of the Lord cannot be derailed. As we said in opening, none of the main characters in 1 Kings 13 cover themselves in glory. All fall short. Fall short of the glory of God. All of them sin, as we do. But the word of the Lord continues. 1 Kings 13 may not answer all our questions, but it points us to what really matters. The word of the Lord. And by doing so, calls us to continue in that word. Continue in the word of the Lord. 
which is what the Apostle Paul calls Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 3, a passage focusing on the Holy Scriptures, the Word of the Lord. Continue in it, he says. Continue in the Word of the Lord. It is God-breathed. It is able to make folk wise for salvation. It is able to equip them for every good work. The Word of the Lord has lost none of its power. For at its heart is a living Lord, the Word made flesh. With him as our compass point, we will not go astray, even in a world like this, even in the midst of disregard, disobedience, and deception. We will not go astray if Jesus, the Word of the Lord, the Word made flesh, is our compass point. Amen.